Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner technology. And today I have an interesting guest, uh, Alan Tapp. We're going to be talking about uh, quantum computing, AI machine learning, and cryptography. How are you doing, Alan? Very good. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Would, would you mind giving um, listeners a you know, quick background of yours, and uh, then we'll launch into a particular topic? Okay, so um, I did my, my study in mathematics and computer science, and actually mathematics was a, was a good idea because then I did a master in cryptography, uh, and then a PhD in uh, quantum computing, and for some years I was actually quite involved in both in cryptography, quantum cryptography, quantum computing, and, and the like. But a few years ago, I made a, I took some decision, I took some time to, to think about the, the second half of my academic career, and it became obvious that it was the right time to, to make a significant change in my career and do artificial intelligence. And now for three or four years, it's been my, my patient, and uh, I've been recently uh, involved with uh, MILA, uh, a research group here in the uh, University of Montréal, and um, uh, yeah, I like all of those topics very much. So what, what uh, is your current work? What are you focused on most intently? Yeah, well, right now uh, I'm trying to focus on uh, natural uh, language uh, understanding. Um, this, is, this is the part of uh, artificial intelligence, but mostly of machine learning, where we actually try to, to make sense of uh, unstructured text and information. Okay, so what, what's an example? Like, what uh, what kind of text? Um, you know, uh, car accident data, financial data. You know. No, no, really, I'm interested in natural languages. So, I mean, a very straightforward example for the study of natural languages would be automatic translation. That's kind of an obvious application, and it's actually something we can do right now a little bit, but it's still quite a challenge. But uh, there, there's also some much more concrete examples uh, that are maybe more, uh, more obvious. Uh, that would be, uh, I'm involved with a company and we're trying to get better algorithm to classify uh, spam and ham. Um, the, those techniques, uh, the spammer are, are getting more and more clever. And so uh, we need more and more clever technique to do this, uh, the classification of, of those uh, emails. All right. Well, yeah. Well, I guess let's talk about email then. So, what are, what are the some new techniques that are fooling existing systems? Well, the, the the thing is that those those emails they might look actually uh, um, they might use a, a languages that is uh, very natural. They would use also for those for for some special words. They will misspell them uh, just so that the system would not recognize those words and things like that. But uh, the part I'm more interested in is not uh, those those small technicalities. It's really about uh, can we get a, a better understanding of, of the content in order to do classification. And in order to do classification, a good uh, a good example of classification 
uh, would be spam versus am. But you can also classify, uh, for example, tweets uh, uh, that people are sending on, on the web, and there is a lot of research just to classify them as positive or negative. And, hmm. and, and, and again, it's, it looks easy because you say, well, if there's a word good or great, then it's positive. But uh, uh, <laughs> sometimes people are are kind of misleading in the sense that they would use um, a metaphor or uh, and uh, or they would be uh, 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 making a joke. Uh, and so uh, sometimes it's difficult actually to just to classify tweets. Oh, so okay, like sarcasm they could use or uh, yeah, sarcasm. That was the word I was looking uh, for exactly. Sarcasm. Sarcasm is difficult, quite difficult hmm. for a computer at least, not for a human. Well, what's the goal of analyzing uh, tweets or analyzing maybe reviews online? You know, what would be some of the reasons you'd want to do that? Well, the the, the goal is to is to be productive right now, but to have a, a, a long-standing goal of uh, real understanding uh, and real artificial intelligence. That's the ultimate goal. But when you deal with uh, simple tasks like uh, languages or translation, uh, you can actually do a very good job with the tool that we have right now without having a deep understanding of the text. But we also know that if you want to do a perfect job, like in translation or in question answering and, and things like that, if you want to do a perfect job, you, you really need to have common sense and understanding. And so this is why it's interesting for a researcher, because you can be actually productive right away and, for example, uh, help some companies. But you can still go toward the ultimate goal of uh, general artificial intelligence. Do you think that um, we're a few years away, or do you think it would be possible to have um, you know, a machine translate from one language to another and do it really well? Well, right now it's, it's kind of uh, very impressive and very disappointing. It's very impressive if you translate, for example, in my case, if I would translate uh, Chinese or, or Polish, but it's kind of disappointing if I translate French or, or Spanish or, or Italian because those are languages that I understand. So um, the system right now are extremely useful, but uh, they make lots of mistakes and sometimes they are pathetic. But they're still extremely useful. And so I, I really believe that uh, we're going to see some uh, some increase uh, month after month, year after year, on the quality of the translation. Uh, that will be uh, improving uh, all the time, I think. And uh, and at the end, to do a perfect translation, you really need to understand uh, languages in a deep way. And so uh, we'll see where we go uh, in the future. What would be a um, a dream goal for you to have, you know, in the next couple of years that a machine could do? What would you be in the next at? Cu- couple of years? In the well, next couple of years, I don't now, know. Be- yeah, maybe a short-term goal and a longer-term goal, you know, in the next six months or this year, and then maybe a couple, two, three years. Well, uh, for me, the short-term goal is, uh, uh, is really I'm, I'm building uh, a research group for, uh, in order to, uh, to make sense of my research program right now. So uh, the short-term goal is really focused on, on, on building uh, this group on natural language processing. Um, and the specific task, uh, it's not clear to me exactly what are the specific goals in terms of application. 
uh, I would like to have a better understanding uh, of language, a better understanding uh, of text. Uh, but um, the, the longer-term goal is I would like to, uh, to make progress in the problem of question answering. Question answering, right now, you can ask questions at Google Now and, and Google some simple questions, and you will get some simple answer, especially when those are involving facts. What I'd like to be involved with is uh, some, some deeper research where the system really has to put together the information and do a little bit of reasoning before answering. Okay. Or maybe if you ask follow-up questions that it could uh, answer those as well and keep a conversation going and not lose the thread of it. Exactly. Well, right now there is a lot of research in conversation with uh, with computer, uh, and and even uh, um, I just heard that uh, in terms of conversation, uh, Google is uh, proposing to have automatic reply uh, in Gmail. They would not reply for you, but they would suggest you a few a few very uh, uh, concrete and short reply to an email. And so this is this is kind of trying to step into a conversation. Um, um, we're a long way from a, a real conversation, or maybe you're aware of this Turing test where we actually try to, to, to distinguish between a human being and, and a machine. We're, we're not, we're not uh, able to, to do very complicated conversation. But once in a while, those uh, automatic answers are actually quite impressive. Hmm. I guess, yeah, the Turing test is when you're talking to a machine and you can't tell that it's a machine. You think it's a human, right? Well, uh, right now, CAPTCHA, I don't remember by heart, but CAPTCHA is uh, uh, the uh, CAPTCHA. There, there is like the, the Turing test inside of the, the, this word. It's uh, to tell apart uh, a computer and a human. And with the CAPTCHA, you're actually proving you're, you're a human. But the, the Turing test, it, it came from Alan Turing. Uh, what's interesting is that Alan Turing was also a famous cryptographer. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, a great mathematician and, and computer scientist. And in the 50s, is the, he was already talking about uh, intelligent machines. And, um, and the question in terms of philosophy is, is quite difficult. And he was trying to address what is intelligence, and is it possible to have a machine that is really intelligent or like a person? And what he, what he proposed was the Turing test. It's, uh, it would be to... Uh, it, it was even proposed as chat. So you would have a, a keyboard and you would be able to interact with uh, what might be a person or a computer. And you have to, you have to tell apart, uh, was it a computer or was it a person? And what Turing says is that if we can have a computer that is so good that really people believe that uh, it is a person, well, then we have reached the, the goal of artificial intelligence. Right, that's true. Um, okay, so besides um, this chat, this interaction, this natural language processing, any other areas that um, that you're working on in artificial intelligence, or is this plenty? And this is a, a whole huge area that. Uh, well, that's that's kind time. of a big area, but I'm also I'm also interested in the interaction between language and images. I have a project with a student where we have interaction between images and text. So, for example, asking question about an image and things like that. This is. Very interesting, but I was I was also doing a lot of research in cryptography, and I I, I still have some some friends in the in the field, and um, some people are very much uh, interested in um, 
understanding uh, all the impact of technology on privacy, and privacy is an aspect of cryptography. And so uh, I have some collaboration with uh, Professor Sébastien Gams uh, at Université du Québec, and uh, we, we're looking at accountability and privacy you know, with artificial intelligence. And um, accountability could be, could be something important because we don't always understand. There's a lot of uh, decision taken by computer using machine learning or artificial intelligence, even though those things might not involve extremely complicated uh, calculation. Um, sometimes we just don't know exactly how the computer takes uh, this decision. And we might have some bad surprises. Uh, the, the, the computer, for example, should respect the law regarding uh, discrimination and things like that. And so uh, we need to have some oversight of the artificial intelligence. But along those lines, in the, in the future, some people are worried that we would lose control of artificial intelligence. Uh, this is not something to worry right now, of course. But uh, oversight of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence is uh, already important, and uh, it would grow uh, over time. So do you think machines are going to have, have to have ethics? Or, I mean, how, they, how is a machine supposed to decide what is right or wrong? I mean, how are they going to be programmed so that they, they do things in the right way, yet you well, want them to work independently? That's, that's some kind of oversight. Uh, of course, there's a deep philosophical question of um, um, what is good, what is bad, uh, uh, and, and, and real artificial intelligence, but there is much more concrete question. So if you train a system to take some decision, um, depending on the data, you might have some problem because uh, training on the data, the data might, might be uh, on balance uh, regarding men and women and things like that. And the system you've trained might actually uh, be sexist or, or, or racist or something like that. And those are things you can actually uh, evaluate using uh, statistics and, and seeing the behavior. And so uh, uh, if the, the algorithm was written by someone and there's a lot of rules involved, you can actually verify each of those rules and verify if the system is uh, 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 is acting appropriately. But if you use machine learning, most of those rules and those parameters were learned by the computer. Uh, and even though the computer doesn't have uh, thoughts and a soul or anything like that, it, it will still, at the end, give a decision. And you still want this decision to be uh, appropriate. And, and the more the computer will be powerful, the more the question will become difficult. The more the computer will be intelligent or, or creative, the more it will be difficult. And uh, uh, it is not clear, actually, if uh, we need computer to have uh, some kind of, um, let's say, uh, in order to be extremely powerful and useful, the computer they don't have necessarily to grow some humanities or uh, human uh, capabilities. Maybe they will just be very, very intelligent, and they will do a very, very good job, but without having any uh, any kind of um, preconception or feelings or anything like that. Okay. And you talked about not being worried that machines would, um, you know, overtake us in terms of intellect or ability. What's the horizon on that? Do you think it will never happen? Do you think just not now? You know, what's the basis? Well, of 
right now, uh, I'm not worried about uh, computer uh, overtaking us. Uh, there is some concern we might have about technology, about computer, about automatization and things like that. Uh, there is some concern about uh, job creation and, and jobs that are, that are lost. But about uh, having a computer uh, being a menace to society, no, that uh, I think it's way, way too early. There is some people actually right now uh, looking into these, these questions. And so um, it's interesting that even though the computer are not powerful enough right now to be a threat, people have started thinking about those issues. It might become an issue later on, but it's very, very hard to predict. The, the system we have right now are, are really, uh, uh, n they're, they're not causing any, any problem of that sort. They're very far from causing any problem of that sort. But we don't know what's going what's gonna to happen in the future. It is conceivable that those will become issues, but uh, I'm not worried because I know that there's enough scientists and very clever people um, um, uh, devoting, I mean, their career in, in doing research so that this will not happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm glad that you think that it's not uh, going to happen for a long time. It seems like AI is... Um, well, here, so here's more questions on that. So are you finding with the natural language processing that AIs can be trained on a specific language and get good at it, but be bad at other languages? Like, how do you get an AI that can translate any language from any language to any language because there's so many permutations? So languages, um, I mean, there is a lot of languages. And, 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 and what is interesting is that what is the, the definition of a language? I mean, um, we have the, the Latin languages, okay, that are similar. Spanish and Portuguese are quite, quite similar, but um, they don't understand each other without any training, but the languages are quite similar. Uh, Arabic language, um, they say that there's one language which is Arabic, but it's, it's basically a political statement more than a linguistic statement because there is as much even more difference between all of those Arabic language and the Latin languages. Uh, uh, and so on. Is the British English a different language from the American English? Of course not. Well, they are a little bit different. There is some spelling difference and so on. And, and what about the, the French spoken in Quebec and the French spoken in France? And what about the French spoken in one city and another city? And so there is a continuous spectrum of, of language. And so at the beginning, people were, in, were interested in academic language, like, you know, the, the the good language, the one that is appropriate, the one that is that is in books, the one that is spoken by professor when they are lecturing their class. But uh, the reality is that language is extremely complicated, uh, depending on uh, who you're talking to, what is the context, and so on. So there is a lot uh, uh, of differences and subtleties, and so. Computer can be much better in some languages than others for the simple reason that they would have much, much more data on some languages than others. But uh, hmm. deep inside, languages, uh, they all have the same uh, difficulties for, I mean, my point of view is that all languages have the same difficulties in the, for, the, for the computers. But some languages have much, much more training data, like uh, American English, for example. Uh, there's a lot of, of data. Uh, uh, and so if you want to do 
speech recognition right now in American English is worked very well. But uh, if you want to do it in Quebec, uh, where I live in Canada, uh, if you don't use a, a, an accent from France, uh, the computer has a hard time understanding you. So, but it's just a question of quantity. There is 10 times more uh, French people speaking the French from France than there is people speaking the French from Quebec in Canada. Uh, and so uh, all, in all those fields of artificial intelligence right now, those are all machine learning. And, and the way machine learning works is that it uses a huge amount of data. Uh, the algorithms are not that intelligent, but they use a lot, a, a huge amount of data. And this is something we have right now, lots and lots and lots of data. So uh, maybe they're not that clever, but they have so many examples to train with that they can actually do a good job. And so the languages which are spoken by just a few people, those are almost impossible to, uh, to solve right now with, uh, with the computer because there is no example to train the system with. But of course in the future, if you have a system that is really, really intelligent, uh, there is some other way to, to solve that problem other than, than uh, training by lots and lots of examples. But right now this is the way it works. We use lots and lots of examples. Well, maybe are there people that are um, looking for commonalities in all human languages so that they can translate ones that don't have a lot of data? Or, you know, yeah. what about lost languages that we can't understand? You know, maybe by learning enough about current languages, we'll be able to use a computer to decipher ancient languages we can't yet decipher. Yeah, it, it, might, it might actually be possible, but uh, um, what scientists are struggling with right now are uh, easiest problem. I mean, they're trying to, to get the main languages uh, uh, correctly in order to be to give uh, access to as many people as possible to the to those system. But there is some common point. I mean, um, uh, for example, if you do translation, uh, suppose you do translation like Google, they they can translate uh, about 50 languages. There's a lot of languages they can translate. Mm. And so, if you have 50 languages, uh, there's more than a thousand combination of uh, uh, of pairs of languages. That's that's a lot of possibilities. And so, right. if you try to train the system to translate between each pairs, that's a nightmare. There's just so many pairs of language. And so they don't try to do French, English, and Russian, let's say, and French to English, and French to Russian, and Russian to English, and English. No, sometimes what the computer, what the, research, what the researcher would do is that they would try to have an abstract representation of the, uh, uh, of the sentence. So they would map all languages to one abstract representation and then they would map that abstract representation to another language. And so this way you do two translation, but there's, there's much, much less possibilities. You, you just have to learn 50 uh, translation and not uh, 1,000. It's like, for example, there is some, uh, some cities in the U.S. where when you travel, you, you, you would go through New York, for example, because there's so many pairs of cities that if you, if you would have a plane between every pair, what they do is that you go to New York, and from New York, you, you go to somewhere else. And so that makes it easier. They have hubs, right. That makes sense. Yeah, so you can do that with language. You can translate every language to an abstract form and, every, and the abstract form to a, every language back. And so that, that simplifies translation. It's not always done like that, but that's a way to, to, to simplify quite a lot when you have a lot of languages. 
And how much training data is necessary? You talk about training data, like, you know, for a given language. I mean, a thousand words, a million words, uh, you know, a thousand documents. Millions uh, is better. <laughs> uh, I mean, really, they're using uh, a huge uh, corpus uh, of data for everything. I mean, for example, when they're training their system to do image recognition, they use millions of examples. And when they're training the system to do what we call a language model, they use uh, terabytes of text, actually, in order to, to, to build those, uh, those uh, language models. When you do translation, you have a little bit less, because when you do translation, not only do you need text, but you need text which is translated. This is why, for example, one of the, of the language pair, which is extremely popular, is French and English. French and English is a very popular uh, topic of research in terms of translation because the, gover the, the Canadian government has to produce every document in both, uh, in both languages. And so we have lots and lots of documents which are both in English and French. And so those can be used actually to train the system and to, and to make experiments. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny you say, you know, there's artificial intelligence, but how smart could it be if it takes millions of, you know, of elements of training data? That's, I didn't realize that. I mean, what, what does the curve look like of um, understanding or success as you go up from 1,000 documents to 10,000 to 100,000? So, you know, what, what levels of confidence are you getting to? So... Um... Basically, you have to uh, multiply the, the size of the data. You have to have twice as much to, to or, or ten times as much in order to see a significant difference. But right now, if you look at all the the most of the algorithm for artificial intelligence, if you, if you look at them, they they don't look so deep and so intelligent. They 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 more very often they look like a trick. So when I was a, a younger, uh, the, the computer were able to beat Kasparov at chess. And some of my friends says, uh, before that, they say, it's impossible. You need to be intelligent in order to play chess. Mm -hmm. And, right. and they, were, they were really, really like, disappointed and, and impressed to see that uh, actually a computer can beat the best chess player. But if you look at the, at the software they were using, it's so simple. Uh, this is just, uh, basically they were leveraging a powerful computer to try all sorts of possibilities. Very often we get disappointed. Uh, again, if you look at Watson uh, that, was, uh, that was playing Jeopardy, that was very impressive because this is the first time some very complicated task uh, in natural language processing was done. The system was able to answer very, very difficult questions. It was able to beat the, the two best players. But again, when they, yeah. gave, when they gave a conference and they explained the system they were using, they were using some known technique in natural language processing and statistics. And, and, and there's nowhere in the system where you can say, okay, okay, so here is the intelligence. And, but at the end, when you look at the system from the outside, it looks intelligent. So the thing is, right now, they don't look so impressive in terms of intelligence. They just, they're just impressive in terms of what they can do from the outside. But actually, that might be like that until the end. I mean, maybe at the end, the algorithm, which will be extremely intelligent, will actually be simple and disappointing. It's just that it, it, it has to be 
well done, clever in some sort, but maybe it's not that complicated. Maybe we will not see intelligence. It's like when you look at neurons, you don't see any intelligence. You just see a bunch of neurons. But at the end, when you have a billion of them or or, or 100 billion of of them, actually, uh, uh, if they're connected the right way, actually, you get intelligence from all those stupid neurons. Yeah, it's weird. It's an emergent. It's an emergent uh, property. In some sense, yeah. But we have a lot to learn. I mean, we we're trying to to mimic the brain. They're using um, deep neural network. That's absolutely amazing what they can do with that. But uh, this is co- kind of far from far from what the the brain is actually is actually doing. Uh, but there, there is a lot of progress. I mean, for example, the computer that was able to, to, to win at Go, I don't know if you're aware, but recently yes. they were able to win at Go. And, and I read a book last year that says it would take 10 years or 20 years. And, and it, it took a few months after I read the book before I got the news. But this time, it's a little bit more impressive because when you look at the computer that was able to beat uh, at chess, uh, like I said, it was like the the computer was actually building a big, big, big tree of possibilities, and it was exploring as much as it can. But the computer uh, that was winning at Go was actually using reinforcement learning and and deep learning. So the computer actually was trained playing against itself. It was trained to recognize a good board and a bad board. It was trained to recognize a good board very fast in order to be able to explore. And it was also trained to, 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 to analyze the board a little bit more slowly to take a, a good decision. And some of the training was done playing against itself and so on. And they, it involved uh, all sorts of technique, including uh, deep neural networks and conv- convolutional networks. And so um, the case of Go is actually a little bit more impressive uh, in some sense. Interesting. So just, yeah, just one or two more questions that will be done. Um, you talked about, I don't know if I have it right, you said deep neural learning, or what was the, the term you used most well, recently the, that you saw? Deep, deep learning. They use deep neural networks. Deep neural networks, okay. What does it mean? To, what's a deep neural network like? What And what's impressive about them? Yeah, that's that's quite something. Right now, it's extremely popular. I mean, Montreal, for example, we just received like 200 million uh, in funding uh, in order to to pursue uh, deep learning. Uh, the group Mila, uh, Yoshua Bengio, is a, is a very famous scientist. So, this is a big thing. Uh, it's been a few years. So they call it deep learning, and and I like the name deep learning because it it explains the technique in in two different ways. So uh, first, uh, when you do deep learning, the system is actually having a deeper understanding of what it's doing. But also, in terms of implementation, those are neural networks which are actually deep in the sense that they're composed of many layers. And neural networks exist since 1958, if I'm correct, when they invented the perceptron. But uh, they were not able to train deep network. Basically, you have the input, maybe an image, and you have the output, maybe a classification. Is it a dog or a cat? And between the input and the output, you have some hidden layers of calculation. Well, all the neural networks the, 10 years ago, they were shallow. The connection between the input and the output was very shallow. It, it was almost a direct connection, so it could not be subtle. It could not be deep in some sense because it had to really look at the pixel and take a decision. Uh, 
But what they were able right. to do recently is to train network, which has like 50 layers of abstraction. And now the connection between the input and the output is very, very far away. And the system learns level by level to gain some more abstraction of the data. And at the end, it takes a decision, which is much, much deeper. And the, the first success we had uh, with deep learning was really uh, when they did that for uh, image recognition. Uh, in 2007, uh, Microsoft says a CAPTCHA could be distinguishing dogs and cats because computers were not able to distinguish dog and, dogs and cats. Uh, right now, they are getting really, really good uh, at recognizing images because they use deep network. The network is actually analyzing the image layer after layer, and on each layer, the system gets a, a deeper abstraction of the data. And at the end, it gets a very, very abstract representation, which can be used to classify concepts like uh, breeds of, uh, of dogs and not just dogs and cats. Right, okay. Interesting. Can people tell what's going on in between these layers and how machines are, um, are getting deeper understandings of problems? In the term of images, yes. For images, we can, because you can take a neuron, for example, and you can say, okay, now I've trained my network, and it's very good at recognizing images, but you want to understand what's going on. So you can take any of the neurons, and you can look at that neuron, and so do lots of simulation to see, okay, so what would be the best images for that neuron? What would be the, 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 the stimuli, the optimal stimuli for that neuron? And then you get some weird image. Uh, and, and this, for example, can help you uh, understand uh, what, the net, what the neuron was actually trained to, to recognize. And if you look at uh, the first level, they, they trained to recognize things like uh, uh, rapid change in colors, spots, lines, uh, edges. And if you look at the top uh, of the network, they are actually trained to recognize like things like uh, human body, faces, cars, and, and, and more complicated things. And so in terms of images, uh, uh, we, we know what's going on. Uh, but, uh, but that's a, a very specific area. Okay. Well, very good. I've asked you, you know, a lot of wide-ranging questions. Um, I guess, you know, the last one is, uh, you know, if, people want to get in touch with you and you know maybe talk to you on a consulting basis or learn more about what you're doing what's the best way for them to reach you oh by email i'm quite easy to uh, to find on the web because there's only two uh, Alain tap right now on the web and 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 the other one will not be uh, there will be no mistakes for sure so just send me an email if uh, if anybody has a, a request uh, i would be uh, very happy to to receive emails and to and to answer them Alentap at gmail.com. And Alan is spelled a little bit different. It's A-L-A-I-N, is that right? Yes, yes, A-L-A-I-N. So uh, if, you, if you Google my name, you will find my, my web page. And on my web page, there's information about the university, my publication, the course I'm giving, uh, the conference I'm, uh, I'm making, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, and the partnership uh, I'm trying to get with companies. Okay. Well, Alan, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting, and you know, I appreciate your time. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies, 
that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 